scholarship fund if you want to help pay for kids that otherwise cannot afford to go to camp. I say this as carefully as I can. Our program for, for troubled young men, our switchback program, uh, many of those young men, not all of them, but many of those young men are in the situations they're in because they're products of their environment. And many of those homes are not great homes. And many of those homes, moms and dads, um, they, have, they have issues where they allocate their funds to things that, that shouldn't be. And thus, a young man who needs to go through a program like this would never, mom and dad would not allocate the money to pay for him to go through a program like that. But maybe grandma does, or maybe a neighbor does, or maybe some stranger does. But somebody helps that person get on track. And we could just give you story after story after story of, of young people um, have come and gotten saved and gotten their life on track. And by the way, a lot of these young men have tried all kinds of things. They've been through every therapist. They've been, I mean, reform schools and, and sometimes juvenile detention and different things like that. But really what they need is the Holy Spirit in their life. They need the presence of God in their life, guiding them. And, and uh, I believe the, the most important aspect is just the preached Word of God. And uh, so you pray with us, and um, I would appreciate that. All right, so let's get to preaching. Get your Bibles out, and uh, we'll get moving right along here. Turn to Genesis. Genesis. And uh, while you're turning there, let me not fail to introduce my family real quick. Um, this over here is my wife, Kelly. She was hoping I would forget. And, uh, and then right next to her is Brooke. Brooke, can you wave at us? She says, no, Brooke, God made her special. She's 16 years old, and she has about a three-year-old mentality. And she's an awesome part of our family. She's got an amazing sense of humor and uh, loves practical jokes, even if she plays the same one over and over and over and over again. And right next to her is Grace. Grace is 13, and she's single. So, you know, and hopefully she'll be that way when she's 40. Well, pray, pray for her. She's an awesome part of our family as well. And then I have two boys, and um, they're grown and out of the house. Noah, is uh, he works with our camp full-time, and he is, lives a couple blocks from our home in Ripley, West Virginia. And then our son Isaac, uh, he lives about 10, 12 minutes away with his wife Grace, and, um, and they're serving the Lord as well. And uh, they're about to have uh, a grandchild of ours. I'm excited I'm going to be a grandfather. So that makes me, that makes me pretty old. Yeah, yeah, so praise the Lord. That, that could be happening to you shortly, sir. That could happen. All right. Genesis chapter number 13. I'm going to read just a few verses here, then we'll stop and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, start with me in verse number 1. This is the account of Abram and Lot and their separation. It says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. And he went out he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai. And verse 4 says, Under the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, it kind of changes subjects just slightly here in verse 5. It says, And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto to Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me, if thou wilt 
I just dropped all my stuff here. I'll pick it up here in just a little bit. It says in verse, uh, back up to verse 9, it says, I pray thee from thee, if thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And verse 10 says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and, and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered before, well watered, let me back up, I've lost my place here. Well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as Sodom, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zor. And verse 11 is a key verse here. It says, And Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful to be able to stand here, and I'm so grateful to be able to preach the word of God, and I'm so grateful for the invitation to be here. But Lord, I'm more importantly grateful for your Holy Spirit and, and the Word of God in which you've entrusted us. And Lord, I'm thankful that we have a copy of the Word of God this morning. And Lord, I'm, I don't take it for granted. Lord, you've blessed us with so much this morning. We have a climate-controlled room and we have padded seats and sound system and lights. And Lord, you've just blessed us with all kinds of things. Most of us came here in automobiles. But Lord, most importantly, we have your word. And Lord, we have your Holy Spirit. And your word says where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. And God, I am gathering here in your name. Lord, there's others as well. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would feed us today. Lord, I pray that we would, we would, we would get what you have for us today. Lord, I pray that we would look for it. Lord, sometimes we just come here because it's Sunday. Lord, I pray that this would not just be some other message we sat through, some other church service, but Lord, let us seek what you have. Lord, let us look for it. And I believe that if we look for it, you'd give it to us and show it to us. And Lord, I pray that you would illuminate your scripture and illuminate the word to us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me just to say what I'm supposed to. And, and that's it. Lord, just get out of the way. Lord, I pray that I would just be a channel or a pipe to bring the message that you have for the hour. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with my thoughts. God, I need you. Lord, I pray that you'd be with the distractions, help them to fade. Lord, I pray that you'd get all of the glory and all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a somewhat familiar passage to many of us. Let me just kind of give you the context of what's going on and uh, just kind of get some meat on it and define it just a little bit more. You have Abram who is a wealthy man who has got all kinds of flock and all kinds of um, herdsmen. And he, in those days, your wealth was not necessarily in what you had in a bank account or, or things of that nature. It was largely in flocks. It was largely in the animals and, and maybe in crops and things of that nature. And you have, he has great substance. And his, and his nephew Lot is there with him, and his substance is growing as well. In fact, it's growing to the point where there is not enough land to take care of the animals. And, and the Bible says that the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham, that start, Abram rather, they start arguing and battling and they're fighting perhaps over water, perhaps over grass. I don't know what they're fighting over, but they're, they're in a dispute. And Abram really kind of as the more mature and senior individual here, he, he steps up and says to his nephew Lot, he says, listen, we're family. We're brethren. We, we should not be fighting like this. This is unnecessary. And um, it may sound like he's kicking Lot out, but he really is not. He's given Lot first choice. He says, listen, you pick a direction, and, and whatever land you want, whatever direction you pick, I'll take what's left. 
He's like, you, you, you know, you, you pick. We need to separate. You, you choose the direction. You choose it. And, and, and I'll take what remains. And, and so Lot does. And Lot looks out. And, and honestly, Lot does what I think most of us would probably do. Lot chooses very selfishly. Lot looks out. And he sees the well-watered plains of Jordan. He says, that's the good land. That's close to those two cities. That's where trade is. That's where I want to go. And he picks the good land. And, and, and by the way, I, 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 you know, it's easy for me to, to, to sit back and assess from where I'm at. But I, but I kind of feel like Lot should have thought about more than just himself at that moment. In fact, by the way, let me just add this. Selfishness gets you in a lot of trouble. And it, and it ended up a lot in a, in a bad place. And he could have at that moment said, listen, Uncle Abram, listen, you have more animals and you have more herdsmen and you have more flock. Listen, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to take what remains. You pick. And I don't know what Abram would have done at that moment. Maybe, maybe, that was, maybe he was prepared to do that. And he was just given, just given the first opportunity to Lot. I don't know. But we see that Lot chooses these well-watered plains of Jordan, and, and he pitches his tent towards Sodom and, a, and another city, Gomorrah, and these two cities are wicked. And, 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 and I don't, we don't have time to develop all of this, but many of us know the wickedness is so great, and ultimately Lot loses his family, Lot loses his wife. It is a very terrible situation, and where Lot started off in the direction he starts off going is not the direction he heads. I mean, it does, doesn't isn't where he ends up. And uh, if you're taking notes, the title of the message this morning is, What do you care about? What do you care about? And I put that at the top of my notes. And, and uh, well, just stop for a second and think about what you dream about, what, where your care is, what do you think about. If you could do something or go someplace or have something, what would it be? I mean, if you could have whatever you want right now, what would you choose? In fact, if I went around the room and said, If you could have anything, what would it be? And, and people just began to name. I would venture to say most people would not name a character trait. They would not say kindness. If I could have anything, most often people would name a possession. If I could just have anything, most often we look at things very temporal and very selfishly. And I want you to just think about what you desire and what you, what you care about. And by the way, what you care about shows. It's obvious. It stands out. You can try to hide it, and you can, you can put on your, your best act, but it shows up. And the things that we spend the most time in, and the things that we put our most energy in, our funds, and all those kind of things. You know, I have a, a friend that's gone on to be with the Lord. His name is Harry Wilson. He died when he was 93. He was on his way to church. Someone ran a red light and hit his car. Mr. Wilson was a great example to me of faithfulness. All my life, as far back as I can remember, as a, as a teenager anyways, every time I would go to church, Mr. Wilson was at church. And uh, Mr. Wilson would pray for our ministry, and years later, in his upper years, in our ministry years, he'd call me once a month, and he'd say, Jason, Harry here. And I'd say, hi, Mr. Wilson. His name is Harry Wilson. And he'd say, you got anything I can pray about? And I'd give my prayer request, and next month he'd call me up, and he'd say, hey, Jason, Harry here. He'd say, I've been praying about this, this, and this, and this. How's that going? And um, eventually one day he asked me, he said, you build that chapel yet? And I said, no, sir. He said, I'm praying about it. Why didn't you build it? 
And I said, because we have to pay for it. He said, you think kids will get saved in that chapel? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, let's just build it. How much money do you need? And he wrote a check. And uh, he said this to me right when he, in this conversation, and it stood out to me, and I, I probably won't forget it. He said, Jason, you got to be a living while, you see, you got to be a given while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. <laughs> and he began to explain to me that he was concerned that if he left things to his children, it wouldn't go to the Lord's work. And what I, what I realized is that Mr. Wilson loved the Lord. And Mr. Wilson, it was obvious that what Mr. Wilson cared about, you couldn't hide. And where he gave and what he did and what he spent his time with. Some time passed and he went on to be with the Lord and they had a memorial service for him in, in Florida. And I flew down there and went to that memorial service. And it was unusual. They didn't have a regular funeral. It was just supposed to be a viewing and that was it. And, and um, someone stood up and said, we were all just kind of sitting in a funeral home room. Someone said, can I, can I just say something about Harry? And uh, someone stood up and began to brag on the Lord. And then I listened for almost two hours as people just gave testimony of his love for the Lord. And, um, and I stood up and introduced myself. And, and, um, and after that, people all over the room came to me and said, You're Jason? You're the Jason in Florida? You're the Jason? He prays for you every day. And I had no idea. And his neighbor was there and his neighbor said that I thought this man was, was mad. I thought that, that he talked to himself because he walks every morning around our neighborhood and I would just hear him talking to himself. And one day I struck up a conversation with him and I asked him why he talks to himself. And he said, I'm not. I'm talking to God. And um, I believe that what you care about is evident. I'm not trying to say this so that you learn how to hide it. And how you, you say, listen, I need to protect. I'm saying, listen, what do you care about? You know what it is, and probably other people do too. Now, Lot cared about some things that got him in trouble. And I want to just take a few minutes and point out some things about Lot. And perhaps maybe you can liken it to your life for just a second. If you're taking notes, point number one is this. Lot cares about material gain. I want you to look at verse number 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the way, that was the end of this wickedness. When God steps in, bad things can get fixed quickly. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Verse 11, it says, And Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. I circled in my Bible the word chose. He picked it. He could have picked anywhere, but he picked what ultimately was a self-centered decision that ended in destruction. Lot chose him all the, all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from another. And by the way, sometimes that can be a problem too. You get yourself alone, away from support, away from Uncle Abram, away from people that can help you. And I'm not saying don't move on where God wants you. I'm saying there's, there's, there's wisdom and there's help, godly help, that you sometimes need to be careful not to separate from. Sometimes we're, we're chasing things. You know, People say, listen, I'm going to move my family to this city because I got this great job offer and this great opportunity. That's what Lot did. And ultimately moved away from some things. And by the way, moving away from a good church is a bad decision. Better make sure that where you move to, there's a good place for your family to grow and for your spouse to be fed and for you to be fed in fellowship with other believers. I put in my notes 1 John 
2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. You know what appears, what appeals to the flesh and selfish desires is not of God? Just, just make that elementary for a second. What appeals to our flesh is probably not of God. Now, God does, God does give you some desires, but I think sometimes we misunderstand some things about God giving us the desires of our hearts. I think that the desires of my heart are given by God. If I trust the Lord, God gives me the desires of my heart, and I desire righteousness, and I desire... Listen, you ever woke up in the morning and just didn't feel like going to church? Yeah, there's some days. Listen, if we, if, but, but if your heart is in tune with God, and you, are, you have a relationship with you're just yearning to be close to God, then church is probably where you want to be. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, sometimes we calculate in the ways of man. We pull out our calculator and say, it just makes common sense to take this job. It just makes common sense to make this decision. But maybe God wants you to live poor, poor and rich spiritually. Maybe there's a whole different plan. Maybe, listen, the, the center of God's will is the perfect place to dwell. Listen, I, there is no better joy than living right smack dab right in the center of where God wants you to be. I mean, you're afforded joy and peace and protection, and, and God takes care of all your needs. You don't have to worry about it because you're where God wants you to be. God will take care of it. And listen, I'm saying that because I've lived it and love it. Listen, I'm not saying I get it right every time. Why do you think Paul could say, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches? Because he lived it. Because God took care of his need. He's right where God wanted him to be, and thus God's sowing and reaping principle all through the scripture is afforded him. Listen, all through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament alike, you do it God's way, God adds his blessing. You don't do it, you get God's chastisement. That's the same rule I had for my kids growing up in my home. You do it the way God wants you to, blessings. You do it the way you're told, your mom and dad tell you to do it, then you hit, everything's wonderful. It's great blessings. Otherwise, you forfeit those blessings of living in this house. You know, I said in Sunday school, for 11 years, our home was a fifth-wheel trailer. We traveled all over the country in evangelism, and my kids had a little bunkhouse in the back, four bunk beds. You know that world a little bit. And, and four beds in the back, and they had their own tiny little room, a pocket door back there, and I don't know what the measurement was, but big, big enough for just four beds. And um, one day, the things changed a little bit, and the Lord allowed us to have a home in our our kids got their own bedrooms, and boy, that was a big day. It's a big day. I remember some years went by, and, and I remember one day my wife said to me about my son Noah, you got to go talk to him. He, I've told, told him for several days to clean his room. The, the room is, I mean, it's, it's filthy and disgusting. And so I went into our basement, which we have a finished basement. That's where his bedroom is. And I went in there, and, and yeah, she was right. His room was bad. And so I said, Noah, Mom's already talked to you about this. You have until this time tomorrow, 24 hours, to get this room clean. Um, and I told him this. I said, your room, to have a room in this home, is not a right. It's a privilege. And God's given you this room, and if you want to take care of it, it's up to you. But it's, it's not a right. It's a privilege. And so you won't have this room anymore if you don't get it clean. So the next evening, I, I, I went in there. He didn't do a thing to his room. So I went back up to my room, sat down at the computer, and I typed the most eloquent, Beautiful eviction notice. <laughs> and I posted it on his door. 
And I gave him a small probational period, and I said, you can live on the couch, it's up to you, or you can get the room clean. And he cleaned his room. Now, I'm, I'm saying that to say that's a silly little thing, but God has that for us. God says, listen, you, you can have the room. You can have all of these blessings. These are all yours if you want them. Here's my will. Live in it. This is what I have for you. This is what I made you for. This is why I created you to glorify me. This is, this is, this is what I have for you. All of this can be yours. But if you want to sleep on the couch, if you want to move out of the room, it's up to you. And sometimes we forfeit God's blessings because we are seeking our own plan. We move on. Lot cares about material gain. And then Lot, Lot cares for ease and comfort. He takes the passive approach, really, in, in many ways. Not just he picks the well-watered plains of Jordan where it's easy to get to the water and the plains and, and just a nice land. But I want you to also notice what he does in regards to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It says in verse number 12, And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. It's a lot easier, by the way, to live in the town than it is in the country. I mean, our camp is in the middle of nowhere. Miss Mariah, you worked there several summers. You, you have the purpose to come to our camp. You don't just stumble on it. If you stumbled on it, you were very lost. Yeah. Yes, you are very lost. We tell everyone, we're in the, I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. We generate all, all of our own electricity. There's no landline power there. If, if, if you go to the middle of nowhere, then ask those people where the middle of nowhere are. They'll send you to our camp. I mean, we're out there. And, and, and it's a little effort to just choose to get to the store and, and, and to plan. And, and, and we own a home. My wife and I live in the town of Ripley. We don't live at the camp because it would be very difficult to live at the camp. It's very expensive to generate electricity all year long. What you probably have in, a, in a, uh, a monthly electric bill, we probably have every day that we generate power. And so what your monthly bill is, is probably our daily bill for power. We generate with diesel. And by the way, I don't know what it is here, but diesel is $5.69 in Ripley, West Virginia. $5.69 a gallon. And so having said all of that, I will tell you real quick, it is a lot easier to live in town close to the store, close to where they snowplow. All, I say close to where they snowplow because I live on a dead-end road, and in, in the last hundred feet of the road doesn't get plowed where I live. I don't know why. They plow everywhere, all over town, except for the tiny little spot where they just don't like me or something. I don't know. I don't think that's the case, but I, you know, every once in a while, a snowplow will come down our road. Having said that, here you have Lot who picks to live in these cities, I think because Lot may even be lazy. He picks what's simple and easy and comfortable. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord. Now this, this phrase, pitched his tent, that stands out to me, may not to you. I'm a tent kind of guy. But he, well, here's what he's doing. He doesn't first into the city. He just, he just kind of faces it. In fact, when we hike into a camp area, we'll, we'll have a, our, our guides will say, okay, guys, we're going to build a fire right here, and I want everybody to pitch their tent facing the fire all around where the fire is going to be built in just a little while, and we make them all pitch their tent facing that way, meaning the opening of the door of their tent. When you look out of your tent, faces the fire. In that way that you, can, you have light and, and people can see to get in and out, and it just works really well logistically for our campsite. Now, what he does is he pitches it where his family can see the wickedness, pitches it where he's facing the city. And over time, by the way, sin is desensitizing. You don't always notice it at first, but he just starts by moving into the well-watered plains of Jordan. 
And then he pitches his tent towards Sodom. And ultimately, we find that he moves into Sodom. And the Bible says that he's actually in the gate. I believe that he's probably one of the elected officials or one of the higher-up leaders in the city. And uh, really embraces all that's there with some exception. But ultimately, he brings his family to a place that's terrible because he's just choosing ease and comfort. He chooses selfishness. Now, I started by saying, what do you care about? Honestly, what you care about will show up in your decisions. And he's choosing these things, and sometimes we have to choose what may be the difficult path, what may be a little bit harder. You know, having a wilderness camp is not an easy place to have a ministry. It's in the middle of nowhere. And sometimes we do things the very hard way because that's the only way we have to do them. Years ago, people would say, you know what you need? You need a tractor. You need a tractor. And I would say, no, what I would like is a tractor. But what we need is to dig this ditch. God's given us a couple tractors, praise the Lord. But sometimes you have to do it the difficult way. And long before we had a tractor, long before we had the other tools, we just did it. And listen, right is right and wrong is wrong. And sometimes it's not easy to stand for right. Maybe everyone leaves you. Maybe you find yourself all alone. I don't know. Let's move on real fast. About material gain, lots care for ease and comfort. And then I want you to notice lots care for his family is at the bottom of the list. And we're going to read several verses here. Look at chapter 19. Move over there to chapter 19. This is, this is later on in Lot's life, and his, he's, he's got a terrible situation. These, these angels come to Sodom, and, and the way he greets them, he, he gives them preferential treatment over his daughters, and it's just a really bad situation. And I'm, I'm sitting there reading this, thinking to myself, listen, this is a... This is a good hospitality decision and a real, real bad dad decision, a real bad father decision, a real bad Christian decision. I want you to look in verse number one. And there came two angels of Sodom at evening, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed him himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold, now, my lords, turn in, I pray thee, unto your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your way. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. So basically, he sees these guys. I think he recognizes these are, these are spiritual men or angels, and these are, these are men that shouldn't be in this city. And I want them to come in my home and protect them. And he invites them. And they say, Nope, nay, we'll abide in the streets all night. It says, And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him. And entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did break unleavened bread, and did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot, and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And that knowing them is in a, in a, in a sexual reference. In verse 6 it says, And Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after him, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. So this is what's happening. It says all the people from all quarters, from all over the city, they come and they surround his house, and they're hollering and they're yelling. And they're saying, send out those guys. Send them out that we may know them. We, we want those guys out here. And, and so Lot, if you will, he, he kind of steps out the door and closes the door and and talks to them. And I'll, I'll reread that last verse. It says in verse 6, And Lot went out 
at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. He says, listen, I'm, I'm praying you won't do this. Don't do this. He tries to talk these people out of it. Now I want you to notice as he continues what he says. He says, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. I believe that Lot gets to a place where he's robbed of reason. He just, he's so desensitized by all, this, by all this. He doesn't even realize how far he's gotten. He says in verse number 8, Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known men. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Lot gets to the place where he, he's offering to trade his daughters in a terrible way. Listen, no dad ought to be at this place. Listen, Lot, Lot started as a righteous man, and God calls him that. But he dwells amongst sin. I think because he maybe cared about material gain and cared about some ease and, and, and didn't intend to get to this place. But he made a few small decisions that ultimately were bad ones. Some of us have lived life long enough. There's many people in here that probably, probably you, you've, you've, been, you've, you've probably got grandkids my age. Many of you have lived life much longer and have made some decisions, and you can look back and you can realize the wise ones and the not-so-wise ones. And sometimes at the moment you made a wise decision, you didn't even know it was a wise decision. God was just looking after you. And there's some moments where you made a bad decision and you didn't know it was a bad decision and ultimately it it wasn't good. But then there's some times when you just know this is a bad decision, but I'm going to make it. Or this isn't good for this, but, this isn't good for this, but. Listen, let me just tell you this real quick. If you've got to explain it, question. If you've got to give people the reason and you've got to explain why it's good reason and people just can't obviously see this as a good reason, then just stop and back up for a minute. Maybe sometimes, that, listen, the will of God sometimes is hard to explain. I make decisions to people like, you're going to do what? You're going to start where? This is what God wants me to do. And sometimes you can't explain it, but sometimes we're explaining and rationalizing. Listen, some people have the ability to rationalize in such a way that they believe just, I mean, just just believe it themselves. I I joke around, and my father-in-law is one of those guys. I love my father-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. I have have the world's best mother-in-law. Some people tell mother-in-law jokes. How many tell mother-in-law jokes? Come on, you tell any mother-in-law jokes? Yeah. I I cannot. My my mother-in-law is absolutely amazing. And she loves the Lord and is a godly woman. But I could tell father-in-law jokes. I could tell father-in-law jokes. And I tease him. And he's one of those guys that can come up with a reason that he only understands. Years ago, my, my mother-in-law, for, for her birthday, you know, you got to understand, she, she's a kitchen lady and in the house sewing. And, you know, your, your average old-school keeper of the home. And... Um, for her birthday, he bought her a very nice commercial air compressor for the garage. <laughs> now, she doesn't go in the garage and wouldn't know how to use the air compressor. But we're standing in the garage, and, and I'm looking at this amazing, I mean, uh, everything a guy could dream about in this, this multi-thousands of dollars air compressor, and I had to have an electrician come in and wire it, and I mean, just amazing air compressor, and he's telling me about it, and, and that he got it for mom for her birthday, and I said, this is for mom? He said, yeah. 
And I said, help me understand how this is for mom. And this is what he said. He said, well, the other one was noisy and it would kick on and she could hear it in the house. This is going to be so quiet. She'll love it. I'm thinking, you just wanted an air compressor. Now, that's a silly thing, but we do that with God. And we do that with what we want. And we say, listen, but, but my family's going to be so much better if I just did this for them. But maybe we, we, maybe we make decisions that aren't the right ones. And here's what I want you to do. We could talk about decisions for a little bit, making wise choices, and we kind of have. But really, it goes right back to the heart in the beginning. What do you care about? I believe that out of the heart comes your decisions. And uh, the Bible teaches that all through. If you focus on having your heart where it should be, the decisions fall in line. I'm going to read a passage to you and we're done. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. And then I've just underlined this phrase, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. I believe that sometimes we just for so long live a certain way that even a warning like this from God's word we don't heed. We don't even feel the pricking anymore. It's, it's, it's as, if, as if you got a scar there and you, you, just, you could poke a needle and it's just tough skin and you don't even feel it. The Holy Spirit can say, oh, you ought not do that. You ought not go there. You, ought, you shouldn't say that. Or you should do this. You should be doing this. We just don't notice it. We don't feel it. We don't hear it. We're desensitized. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I want to encourage you to just stop and, and think, what do I care about? Are the things of God greater in my care than everything else? What do I elevate above all things? Listen, there needs to be an order. Years ago, I was talking to a young man. He was working at our camp, and he was trying to pick one of three careers. And he said, this one or this one or this one. And he seemed to fit in all three categories, in all three careers. And, and ultimately, today, he does all three of those simultaneously. And I remember telling him, listen, I don't know if you have to actually pick one of those. What you need to do is you need to put them in order. Which one trumps the other one? Which one's more important? One of them was a ministry. And I said, you need to put it in order. And listen, by the way, this is my order, my relationship with God and my family and my ministry. They go in that order, and, and don't, don't misunderstand that. My relationship with God is not my ministry, and I think some preachers mess that up sometimes. I, I can't have a right ministry if I don't have my family in order. So first it's my relationship with God so that, so that I can be effective to my family, so that I can be effective in ministry. And there needs to be an order, and, and put that in that or, or, right order. And let me just say this. If you don't have the desire to put that in order, stop and ask God to give you the desire and to show you why you don't. Sometimes it's a sin issue. Sometimes we have to ask God to clear that up, and God gives us that desire. Let's all stand. We'll have a word of prayer. Don't have the pastor come. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm thankful for the example of Lot. Lord, it's not necessarily a, a shining one of perfect order. There are some great examples of things that he did. But Lord, much of it is an example of what we should not do. Lord, I pray that we would heed that example. And Lord, no one would find themselves that way. And Lord, if we are there, Lord, I pray that we'd fix it. Lord, I pray that this morning you would, you would do what you want to. Lord, perhaps maybe there's someone here this morning that's not a Christian. 
Lord, they've never just sought you first. They've never put you on the throne in their life. They've never asked for forgiveness of their sins. God, I pray that they would start right there this morning. Lord, I pray that some way, somehow, the Holy Spirit would draw them. And they would see their need for a Savior. And someone can open a Bible and show them how they can become a Christian. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, preacher. So our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And the piano begins to play. If God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. The devil has such a way of changing our priorities. Maybe you start right. Maybe you say, man, I want to serve the Lord and I want to do what's right. And, and it seems like the devil is so good at dangling things in front of us and distracting us. And before we know it, we are off on a, on a, on a path that's not right. And our priorities have be, become backwards and they're no longer the way they ought to be. How's your priorities this morning? Maybe you're here and, and you say, well, I, I never have put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I want to do that today. That's the first step to getting your priorities straight, getting your life on track. As the piano plays, the altar's open. Maybe you just want to thank the Lord for something He's done in your life. Whatever the need. every day. 